Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. We've talked number nine in our series today. The series is called Nothing But Christ Crucified. And it continues our studies from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians, in other words. Our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, takes up Paul's thoughts around the Christians of Corinth, touching on issues concerning our integrity in serving the Lord. So to find out in more detail what this means, we'll need to go to Brian to tell us more. Thanks, John. There are those today who claim to be apostles. In what sense they view themselves as apostles is not always clear. It may rest upon a persuasion that God has sent them to a particular place or to undertake a specific ministry. Nowhere, however, does the Bible encourage us to apply such a title to ourselves. What's even clearer is that there are no apostles today in the same sense as the first apostles of whom we read in the pages of the New Testament. This can be quickly established from the basic defining qualification for membership of that elite early grouping. This surfaces first of all at the end of Acts chapter 1, when a replacement for Judas was under consideration. We read, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which we arrive at today in our look at Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was finding it sadly necessary to defend his authority as a genuine apostle to some at least in the church of God at Corinth. Although Paul recognised on another occasion that his appointment had been irregular in its timing, the essence of the qualification is met based on his claim to have seen the Lord. While still known as Saul of Tarsus, he'd encountered Christ in the heavenly vision he saw on the highway to Damascus. Later, he explains there was a time when he had experienced the Lord's presence for a while and received direct revelations of truth. He'd therefore seen the risen Christ and could bear testimony as to his resurrection. Here are Paul's actual words at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the ploughman should plough in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Verse 9 there, 
with its mention of the ban on muzzling the ox, is an interesting quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. Perhaps this can help us to illustrate how to work out what any Bible verse means. You see, a Bible verse can only have a meaning which is in agreement with what it meant in its first or primary setting. But when later Bible teaching is based on the same verse, we then have to consider this fuller context. In this example, Paul by the Spirit updates our appreciation of the significance of this verse as it relates to his being supported by the churches in his full-time service for the Lord. He now continues to defend that same basic right. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Let's count up the number of defences Paul makes of his right to be supported as he goes about his work of preaching. First of all, as we've seen, he substantiates his claim to be an apostle and with that status came the right to refrain from working for a living. Second, he cites the case of a soldier not having to serve at his own expense. Third, he appeals to the fact that any vineyard owner would be expected to eat of the fruits of his own vineyard. Fourth, who would deny a shepherd the right to some of the milk coming from the flock? Fifth, as we saw, he quotes the Old Testament at Deuteronomy chapter 25, where it was forbidden to muzzle an ox while it was treading out the grain. Sixth, was the law of compensation, exchanging material benefit for spiritual goods supplied. Seventh, he finds a parallel in the fact that the Levitical priests received their food from God's altar. Eighth, and finally, Paul invoked the Lord's own authority when referring to how he taught that gospel preachers should get their living by the gospel. Having established his right so exhaustively, Paul then quickly says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul then says something that seems to take a little thought before we can unpack its meaning. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let's try to summarise the argument Paul makes there in verses 16 to 18 of 1 Corinthians 9. He starts by saying that he's got no reason to boast as a preacher because he's someone who's compelled to preach. He'd been entrusted by the Lord with a stewardship and that stewardship was his remit to preach. He wasn't preaching of his own will. 
If that had been true, he'd have been entitled to a reward. But having reasoned in this way that no reward strictly applied to him, he then explains that he regarded his voluntary restraint of his right to financial support as being all the reward that he wants to have. He then continues, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. These words have become almost proverbial, haven't they? This becoming all things to all men. Unfortunately, the modern way we tend to use this is quite different from the Apostle Paul's original meaning. Becoming all things to all men nowadays tends to convey the idea of doing whatever it takes to keep everyone happy. But there was never any hint of any loss of integrity with Paul. He legitimately behaved one way, or characterised himself in one way, with a certain type of person, while remaining consistent to his core principles. And he equally lived in a different style so as to draw near to a different group of people. After all, this was the great apostle to the Gentiles, who lived free from traditional Jewish customs while reaching out evangelically to Gentiles. But when he went back to Jerusalem, the same Paul would put himself under a vow and participate in selected Jewish temple observances. Paul was a man equally at home in the Greek, Hebrew and Roman worlds. He was adaptable in style, flexible in approach, but immovable in his principles. Today, we do well to learn from this in sensitive approaches and adaptable styles varying across a different range of target audiences. Now Paul concludes, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What did Paul mean by being disqualified? This verse has certainly been grossly misapplied when attached to any teaching that says a genuine believer in the Lord can later in life become disqualified for eternal life after all. There's no hint of that in the context here. Paul, rather, is viewing himself exercising self-control in his Christian ministry, in the same way as an athlete must discipline himself or herself if they are to compete with a serious chance of carrying off the prize. This is Paul returning to his theme of the faithful preacher's reward, and this is quite independent of the secure gift of salvation. 
And with that happy reassurance, we've come to the end of the ninth chapter of Paul's first Bible letter to Corinth. Thanks for your talk, Brian. Now, there still remains the opportunity to send for the booklet to accompany this series, and if you haven't yet done so, and you'd like a copy, please write in, making sure to let us have your postal address, and ask for the title, Nothing But Christ Crucified. You can order by email or by post, and here are our contact details so you can make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books. If you try typing Search for Truth series into the search box, you may find them or put the author's name if there's a difficulty. Also, look out for Search for Truth featuring on www.360.org and this is another excellent way of accessing what you first heard here on air. So that's all we have for today. Thanks for being with us and thanks for your interest in these talks. I hope you're enjoying them. God willing, I hope you'll be able to join us for another talk in this series next week. But until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. When doubts and fears arise, teach me thy way. When storms or spread to skies, teach me thy way.